Good morning, LBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and today I am with The Story, as always, I am with The Story Podcast. And today I have a super awesome guest, but first, before we get into that, I have some merchandise for sale. If you'd like to support what I'm doing here, you can buy our stickers, and you can buy a hoodie with the story on the front, and the first 50 guests on the back. And that includes today's guest, Mr. Bjorn Jacobson. Bjorn is an original Delta Gypsy Grass artist from Lancaster County, PA. His travels through New Orleans and the Gulf Coast from Florida up to Boston have inspired his eclectic music multi-genre-based style that few can match. Playing guitar, banjo, bass, drums, mandolin, harmonica, and recently picking up the violin, there is little that can't be discussed. On and off the road for over 10 years now, he is constantly making efforts to bring the musical community Together wherever he goes. Mr. Bjorn, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Corey? I'm doing pretty good, man. <clears throat> For those who don't know, this is the dude who told me just to do it and start this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so I'm honored to have him on today. So what really got you uh, into music as a kid? Was it just the old guitar that your dad had or whatever? What was it? Um, well, my mom, uh, growing up, my mom played a little rudimentary, like classical and, uh, so grew up with that influence being around, but I didn't pick it up myself until I was like 10 mm. and uh, started uh, getting into Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and all those rock bands and, um, you know, from the 60s and 70s and kind of inspired me to pick it up. But I wanted to play the electric, you know, mm. I was like, oh, that's that's way cooler. But it took me a little bit to be able to get the electric guitar. So I had to learn on the uh you know, the, the classical parlor guitar that my mom had, you know, and uh, that started it off. Uh, I think initially I got into writing poetry before playing music. Oh. So I think uh, really like the writing is what got me into doing anything. And uh, then it was like, well, I could put some music to this and, and that could be kind of cool. Uh, yeah. But I don't know how long it took until something actually worthwhile came about. So what inspired your poetry? Uh, like, uh, which, uh, which poets or like which poets, what, like what in general inspired you to write? So my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Pruch, he got us into, we were, I was living in Western New York then, mm. uh, Allegheny County, New York. And he got us into a Robert Frost. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a huge influence. Uh, he's the darker one, isn't he? Uh, yeah, mix and match, I'd say. All I remember you know. is he, there's the poem about the boy with like the Saul or whatever, like kills him, like dies, in like the winter. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And then yeah, the you got the the road less traveled. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, off even into you know Blue Butterfly Day and mm -hmm. Who Am I? Uh, Dust of Snow. Yeah, yeah, know. that was the yeah. <laughs> Some cool stuff, but um. As a kid, I, I don't know, I found it pretty inspirational, and then it's like, yeah, I kind of want to write some of my own stuff, and I just took off from there, you know? So, wh at what point did you decide music was what you were going to do? Was it then, or was it later? I, it definitely wasn't then. Um, probably until I was 16 did I figure out that, you know, uh, music would be the path. Uh, yeah had a weird brush near death experience thing and you know after that it was like uh you know we could go at any second to live a life that uh you know 
you want to learn. Yeah, you're yeah. satisfied with, you know. <laughs> so what was the the music scene like back then for you? Uh, it was, you know, there was there was still some variety back then. I don't think it was quite like you know Lancaster is today, or you know some of the other areas I've been in. But uh, I think it consisted of much more of like a middle aged group of people doing these open mics around town, uh, uh, getting into whatever bars that served food would that would allow mm-hmm. you know miners to play, and definitely coffee houses and. Uh, farmers markets and whatever whatever you could get into you know um so that was always a struggle you know you, you, you wouldn't always know which places were were comfortable with a minor coming in and playing or they would have like a cut off time nine o'clock or something and then you know they didn't get to you until nine ten. Mm. you know and it's like oh sorry kid you gotta go you're getting kicked out now and you know but you know go through that a few times and then you start to learn how to finagle your way into situations and, and not right. get up five minutes past you know the time the deadline right <laughs> so did you start gigging around that time too uh yeah yeah definitely um some of the places that you know would allow us in there started to hire us you know um that was that was a cool experience uh just going in because because you didn't know didn't really have the uh foresight to uh, to understand that oh i could eventually you know make make a few bucks here uh but it then the you know bar manager or owner would come up and hey uh how about a saturday night and it's like um i guess i could try to brush together three hours of material and, and do that. <laughs> uh so yeah i mean there were there were little gigs and like i said um you know the farmers markets and things like that too coffee houses that was you know they they definitely helped out Here's a question. How do you brush up three hours worth of content? <laughs> How do you decide? What do you... Uh, all the originals, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whatever the, you couldn't fill with that, uh, whatever covers. And for me, covers aren't just, you know, what everybody knows. It's kind of, I'm into, you know, the Grateful Dead and, and where uh, Jerry Garcia kind of split off and did things with David Grisman, more of a bluegrass uh, folk approach. And that led me to getting into Appalachian music a bit more and bluegrass and some older stuff and definitely some like blues uh, numbers. Um, but I, I definitely was not the guy that was like ready to take requests, mm. you know, and like nobody knew whether I wrote that song or not. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so that definitely had to be explained. But um, yeah, you know, we worked it out. So what led you, uh, what leads you from there? You said you traveled to New Orleans, uh, Florida, Boston. What, yeah. What, what brought you to those areas? Uh, going down to New Orleans um, was really due to uh, my ex-wife. Um, her family lived down there, and we went down for a trip to Mardi Gras, and I just fell in love with the place. And we, we agreed to move down there. Um, so jumping into that music scene was was intense yeah. uh you know coming from up here where at the time there it wasn't very competitive you know and if it was it was kind of unnecessary down there you're you're fighting for a street corner oh know, wow in the day and and you're playing 12 hours a day nine to 12 hours a day you, you know you get up if you have a morning gig at some you know breakfast joint you know you could do that and then go hit the french quarter to do some busking then after that 
go to an open mic and then you have your, like your late night gig if you could book one or two of those and music just goes all day and night down there so, wow so that was that was huge that really trained me to just get into it and belt it out in the street get the attention of these people that they're inundated with music all day long so how do you get them to look at you right exactly you know? i'm sure that's where you get a lot of your performance yeah certainly it's definitely yeah it was a good learning experience so what other stuff is like different down there in regards to like music I I'm I was told that a lot of it is based off tips, not just what you make at the bar. A lot, yeah. Uh, most of the time, getting paid at the bar, you know, if you're not doing like the ticket thing, um, you're getting a percentage of of the bar sales. Um, oh wow! And then so yeah, you you really push to uh, get those tip buckets going around. So how does one get gigs down around there? Is it a lot of emailing, or what was the at the time? Was it just going up to the to the bartender, be like, "Hey, I want to play." Is yeah, the spot. Uh, open mics were huge. Um, playing on the street, people would, you know, be interested and tell you about their place and hire you to do that. Um, Craigslist was big back then. Oh I yeah, up a lot of places on Craigslist from you know uh, Baton Rouge to Lafayette and New Orleans and. You know, really just getting around uh, and picking up anything you could, you know. So was that a lot of, I guess it's a lot of travel down there Yeah, you have to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, and that's really what got me into touring. Mm. I didn't really do any tours prior to living in New Orleans, and uh, that got me into setting up, you know, two- or three-month tours and being comfortable with just driving and driving and driving, you know, hit Florida, go to the Carolinas and, you know, anywhere you can. And so how do you how do you set up a tour? Email. Email? Just, yeah, just email everybody you can to shoot 100 out in every region that you're going through. Um, and then on the way down, I kind of set some stuff up uh, just out of necessity, hitting open mics and selling, you know, these burned CDs at them, you know. Uh, it, it, it's definitely, looking back, it's, it's, it, was, it was fun, you know, but and there was no... Uh, guarantee, mm. you know. So setting up the tour provided that guarantee rather than just kind of rambling around aimlessly, picking up whatever you could, shooting in the dark. Right. You know. So what is one thing that you learned a lot from those tours? You have to take care of yourself. Mm. That That's the main thing. It's so easy to just be around uh, bar food and fast food and, you know, people and their influences and it's important to stay to yourself keep your head on your shoulders because it's very easy to just kind of lose your mind when you're by yourself or just one other person in a car with you and you know you're you're constantly sleeping together and smelling each other's body odor and you know um or even just your own <laughs> you know? right. so it's like yeah learn how to yeah how do you keep your hygiene up on the road how do you stay sane how do you eat well um, and, and find time for yourself. You have to enjoy a little bit of it yourself as mm -hmm. well. You know, like going through Florida, I never got down to the beach initially, uh, but I'd see it from balconies and things. And then it was like, oh, back to the road. And, oh. you know, and that, that made me learn, you know, like take an hour, right, like yeah. go down there, you know, <laughs> spend some time. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I learned from my road trip was, uh, the person I went with another person, but the person you go with, is you gotta mesh well. Yes. Because we, uh, me and my friend, we we 
you know, we're really good together, but that doesn't mean you're good to live together. Right. Like my first roommate, we were off god awful roommates, <laughs> but we're like best friends to this day. Uh, but we could not live with each other. Right. Right. And uh, but have having her with me, um, we were we were fine. She was chill. I was chill. We just listened to podcasts the entire way. Granted, I guess back in those days, we didn't really have a podcast to listen to. Right. right. <laughs> Our methods the way. Yeah. So, what led you up to Boston? Uh, that was actually um, my old musical partner, Francois. His, he had some family up there. And so we were doing, um, we came up to Pennsylvania, and then my producer lives in New Jersey, uh, northern Jersey. So the plan was to go up there, uh, tail end of the tour, and you know, record an album, which we did. And then up there, it was like, yeah, why not keep going? Uh, it was around mm-hmm. Halloween. So we got to Boston, and it was the night before Halloween. And then October 31st rolls, rolls around, and we have no gigs. So we went to Salem and checked that out. And that was a cool experience, you know. And that's one of those things for us, you know. Uh, took the time to do it, and, and it, yeah, it was yeah. definitely worth it. It was a cool experience all around. Uh, definitely inspired some music. And What stuff did you see? Um, it inspired you. I mean, the town itself is just, you know, it, it, like New Orleans, it has this heavy vibe. There's, you know, been some pretty tragic stuff to occur. And, and that always influences a region inevitably, you know. Um, and being there on Halloween, it's very, yeah, yeah. very intense. Um, See a bunch of kids running around as witches and you're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> that occurred and then the late night things develop and... Uh, they definitely take uh, the idea of, of the witch very far. Um, I think historically it was more influential in that aspect, uh, just mm-hmm. to see the town, feel it, visit you know some of these graveyards and everything, and 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 reading you know the headstones, their their last words before they were put to death. That was uh, that was intense. Oh, I'm sure. You know, uh, I think. You know, it definitely put shed some light on how insane everybody was back when that was occurring. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like the ergot influence in in their their grain, or if you know it was strictly just uh, mania. Right, right. It it always strikes me. Have you ever been to the Flight ninety three memorial? I've not. No. Oh my goodness! On the way to Pittsburgh, so it's like right there on the way to Pittsburgh, uh, and. We decided, you know what? Why not? We'll go check it out. I, I'm, I'm a history buff. I like learning about history, and 9/11 is one of those big history events, at least for Americans. And uh, when you go there, they have the last phone calls of all the mm. loved ones that they're making, and you can hear them bashing the 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 catering cart into the the pilots, and it's, ooh, yeah, if yeah. You want to talk about chilling? Right, that's the word, chilling. Yeah, <laughs> that is not easy to uh to to swallow. No, I'm getting you know? I'm getting goosebumps uh, thinking about it. it. Was hard to listen to, right? And I can one it's one thing reading last words, but to hear the panic and the sincerity is like, listen, I know I'm gonna die. I love you. Right. I'm gonna go kick this terrorist butt, and we're gonna do something about it. Right, right, yeah. That's that's oh. It's so it's so inspiring, but it's so sad at the same yeah. time. And I think, yeah, that's um, 
that's the way to put it. In, inspirational, but but very sad. And it, it, it's it's real. You know, it's raw, and it's, it makes you appreciate life. Oh, it's it's very human. Right, right. A, a very human moment. Yes. To to realize, okay, this is this is the end, and this is what I have to do. Right. Right. And yeah, I mean, we definitely live in a pretty uh pretty comfortable oh for sure fashion most of the time. So we don't think about things like that, especially we don't have to get around to here. We don't have to get to that level of okay, this is the end. This is the end of the line. What am I going to do about it? Right. And how am I going to react? Right. <laughs> Some people choose to cur- curl up and accept it. Other people choose to fight. Right. And it's it's that decision that's going to impact you forever. Mm-hmm. So it, I definitely recommend check, checking it out. It's a it's a it's a pretty it's this is kind of maybe weird to say, but it's a really pretty spot. It's a really pretty spot. It, it got flowers everywhere, and it's a it's. It's a serene sadness. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. A somber sadness. Yeah. So, Boston. Uh, and how, how do you think that these different genres influenced you as a person or influenced your music as a whole? Did, did you start out as a rock and then when you went to New Orleans, did the jazz come in and influence you? And then when you went up to Boston and maybe more the heavy, I don't know what the Boston scene's like, actually. A lot of Celtic music, Celtic rock. Um, I don't think we encountered too much of that, though. Uh, Going up there was an interesting experience. Uh, We were doing a bunch of radio shows, and, and you know, we hit some dive bars. What is a dive bar? I keep hearing that term, but I I can't really figure out what it means. Just um, not the fanciest place, you know. Oh, like the hole in the wall kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Um, so we had a, a bunch of those kinds of gigs, and then we had a big one, um, a place called Atwoods, I believe. And so, so we saw all different sides. Um, I, I think to, to answer the second part of the question, uh, how did these styles come about, these genres? Uh, I was pretty young getting into like bluegrass and Celtic and, uh, you know, klezmer, Yiddish music, um, and definitely the blues, definitely inspired by the rock and roll scene that I got into when I was younger. But <clears throat> it uh, after I <clears throat> had hurt my hand, I started picking up the banjo mm. and other instruments. So that really jumped me into this this deep um, sea of genres, you know. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and. And then it was all about mixing them, mm. you know, taking country music and klezmer and bluegrass and rock and blues and just kind of making a whirlwind of sound out of that, <laughs> especially when you invite musicians from different backgrounds mm. into a uh, single group and then seeing what comes out of that because nobody really understands the, the cultural uh, finesse well, the vision that the maybe. other one does. Yeah. So collaborating, it just makes a very unique sound. When, when was the first time you created a band? Mm. I think it was 12. 12? Yeah. Yeah. 11 or 12. Called it uh, called it Crystal Water. And Why? that was more of like a psychedelic thing, oh, influenced yeah. by uh, Pink Floyd and all of that, um, and the jam bands and all that. Uh, but, you know, we... we didn't really stick with that too long because we were 
you know, preteens. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> and we all had to go our separate ways eventually. But uh, it was definitely an eye-opening experience. You know, uh, we, we took it pretty seriously and learned how to record, you know, in-house and understood composing parts and not being too busy. Right. What was... Uh... When was the first time you had like a serious group of musicians and that you like went? I guess that would have been that, or uh, to a degree, we all took it very seriously. But I, I think we were still <clears throat> in a, in a, a developmental phase mm-hmm. ourselves individually. Um, I think the first group that came together, I called it the Wayfair Experiment, and yeah, you like the Vows recording on here. That's that's from that group. But it called it the Wayfair Experiment because it was still very difficult to get a, you know, uh, dedicated group of individuals together mm. and keep them together. So most right. of the recordings I did, most of the instrumentation myself. Uh, but then playing out live, there was always, you know, pretty pretty standard group of cats to get it going, you I- know. That is a good question. How do you find people that are dedicated to the craft? And how do you, is it just a bunch of trial and error? Is it just knowing the right people, getting getting information out of others, or what? Yeah, I think, yeah, trial and error, getting to know everybody, network as much as you can, and understand that, you know, when you start a band, you're probably not all going to just hit it and be a bunch of rock stars and mm-hmm. doing it right away. Although I think, you know, the first couple times you try to do that, uh, that expectation is kind of in the back of your head. and So you, you just can't let it be disappointing. Uh, you have to respect other people's lives and understand that, you know, even your own path could be taken in a completely different direction at any time. And I think that's what eventually happened with me. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I was eventually the one that bailed out and did oh, my own thing. it was you. Later on, yeah, you know, with the Wayfair experiment, um, because that went through its phases, and then it was time to go. Uh, my family kind of moved out and uh, went down to New Orleans, you know. And that 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 set forth a whole new chapter, uh, meeting people down there and jamming. And then, of course, I didn't stay there for very long, so the musicians I met there, we never did anything serious. But it, it was a very educational experience. Uh, and then moving to North Carolina, I met Francois. And then mm-hmm. we had that duo, that little power duo. That was... That was a great experience, and we really started touring heavily together. Um, and he's just, he's incredibly intelligent and well-rounded musically. Um, so I learned a lot playing with him, too. Uh, really, it made it neat. What was know. some of the most valuable things you learned with playing with him? Um, really just trying to keep everything clean but intricate. You know, and what what does that mean? Uh, like some of the compositions get a little crazy. Yeah, you know? okay. And there's there's that way to keep it together without it just going into a full blown improvised jam in every every song, which we loved to do. But then it was like, no, there is there is a composition here that we have to stick to and eventually go back to. You know? <laughs> and, and but that was another thing too, like throwing those improvised. Um, measures into it you know and just trying to make it wacky and quirky but also professional and you know intricate uh so it was definitely an avant-garde project you know it wasn't it wasn't your run-of-the-mill thing and 
because he was classically trained, you know, mm -hmm. um, but also into improv and jazz and, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, two completely different backgrounds coming together yet again. So you mentioned hurting your hand. What happened to your hand? Uh, well, when I was 16, I, uh, I sprained it and it, it uh, became infected with uh, MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph infection. And uh, eventually that went septic and, and I Ooh. had pneumonia and everything. And, you know, it was, it, I was on a deathbed. Uh, and it took, a, it took like two years to recover. Um, How'd you sprain it? <laughs> I, was, uh, I was a teenager swinging on vines at the, on the Susquehanna River. You know, and uh, that vine snapped and threw me into a gully, and and I, uh, you know, landed in this like backward crab walk position, and yeah. And at first, you know, it's like, oh, I'll be all right. It's just a sprain. Nothing's broken, and and then, um, you know, there was a much larger thing coming, coming along, and uh, you know, I, I'm actually kind of happy for it because it did inspire me to to appreciate this life and appreciate what we can do with it and really take the initiative to to step off into a direction that most people will, and in fact, many people did, try to deter me from. Awesome, man. I noticed there's a, uh, a little bit of people watching. If anybody has an audience has a question, please don't feel free to put it down. I'll ask it. But uh, so you... Which hand is that? that that's your uh, left hand, isn't it? Right hand. Right strumming hand, hand. Strumming hand. Yeah. How has that affected your playing? Quite a bit. Uh, I couldn't strum for a long time, so I picked up the banjo and got some finger picking down. I was, you, could, you couldn't move your wrist, but you could do, move your fingers. Over time, yeah. At first, I was just kind of beating this club mm -hmm. into, into the strings, and then I got finger picks, and that made it a little easier to strum, and then more mobility came about over time. Uh, inspired me to pick up the harmonica, too. <laughs> You know, so I could do some melodies. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, picking individual melodies at first uh, was very difficult. What, what is the purpose of a harmonica? I, and I ask this because I feel like a lot of people don't know, uh, even including some harmonicists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like, as far as composition is concerned? Composition, playing? Uh, I would say... You know, originally it was an instrument that you didn't have to tune, mm -hmm. so and it's very portable. Uh, but then, as far as composition is concerned, I I think a lot of people lack uh, the rhythmic understanding. You know, uh, and it is really a lead instrument. You know, it's that high end lead. Uh, you don't want to mix it too much with uh, violin or something like that. You know, mm. um, and you don't want it to be playing the entire time. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you don't want you don't want to, unless it's counterpoint and it's extremely strategic. Right. Uh, but yeah, you don't want to just be uh, just sloppily running over every other every other melody that's occurring. And there's some people who just play harmonica and they just play and play and play, but they never really because it's the same thing with the piano, right? If you're a piano and a guitar, there's a lot of cover room between the two, right? And this is something I've been figuring out playing with you, Nathan, other and other artists as well, including Robin and like Henry. Right. Yeah. Uh, piano covers all the spectrums, but what do you do when all the spectrums are covered? Oh yeah, you definitely have to learn to take a step back and yeah, you know, it, uh, piano for instance. If if there's a bassist with you, 
Got to lo- lay off, lay the off that low end. That's and right. That's, a, that's yeah. a lesson I'm struggling to learn because <laughs> I'm so used to it. Right, yeah. But that can open you up for more melody, too. Yeah. You know? But the, but the problem with that one is is that I'm not very good at my scales and all that jazz. And oftentimes you have Robin who's just killing on the violin anyway. Right, yeah, yeah. Robin definitely, uh, yeah, she's, she's a great violinist and uh, covers a lot of that room. Um, so so for me playing uh, with her, a uh, great example, I definitely hold back a little bit and wait wait for the moments where, you know, you can do some of that speed picking. Yeah. Um, but certainly not all the time. There's a lot of rhythm going on there. A lot of rhythm, a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's it's almost, it's hard in the moment to figure out, okay, what should I do? <laughs> right? Yeah. right? Yeah, especially with that, that project. is, And I think that's where that, uh, specific, uh, you know, duo is it, it? It should be a duo, you know, uh, trying to get more people in, more lead instrumentalists. It can get a little sloppy. Yeah, you know? it's it's at some point you have to lay off. Right, there's yeah. only so many people you can introduce with without it being too much or without because if you add in so many people, you're gonna have to wait your turn. Right, and right. at that point. Why bother if you're going to only play, like, a few measures worth or just a solo? Yeah. I, and, you know, I, I, I don't really pride myself in being, like, a, a lead instrumentalist. Um, mm. Definitely more of the composer, songwriter. Um, although I like to get some of those chops down. Um, you know, if that was my job for a whole project, I, I, would, I, would, I would not do a very good job. You know, like, Microsoft does a wonderful job. Microsoft, if you're watching... Please schedule time with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's brilliant. Um, knows when to lay back and but can shred. Oh, he shreds know? incredibly. It's, I, it's, he's so technically advanced, or and te- te- his technique is amazing and his knowledge is amazing. He knows ex- like I don't. It's kind of like Robin, where you don't have to even mention the key. You don't have to mention anything. They'll just pick it up and do what they will do with it. Right, right. And those are the musicians that I aspire to be. <laughs> just know what to do at all times yeah. without missing a beat. Right, right. And and to these, you know, molecular levels. Right, uh, to, the, to the building block levels. They know exactly. They probably know the next chord I'm going to play without even thought, without even a thought. Right, right. Or, yeah, where it could potentially go in three different directions. Right. And, and this next note will work with each one, but it's exactly. going to go off depending on whatever surprise they encounter. You know, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really incredible. So uh, you have a new project you're kind of putting together called The Gentry. Uh, yeah, relatively new. Um, we're really pushing to get that out on the internet right now. Uh, that's my producer and me. Um, we... Uh, came up with the idea to kind of take the the blues and folk aspect and mix it with his studio arrangement of synthesizers and drum machines. So I'll, I'll, I play a lot of bass for that and sing. And, and it's, it's a really cool project. You should check. It's on Spotify, right? Yeah. Uh, most of the digital platforms that uh, I can think of, uh, Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, Pandora, all that, Apple, all that jazz, all that jazz. It's, it's it really is getting wider and wider with each day, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. And you never know what platform is just going to like pirate that from wherever right. you can find it for free. There's all these websites where 
you know, you put your name in and then it's like, oh, I didn't know this was on here. And then it's like stripped from some crappy YouTube video. Right. <laughs> and it's like, this should not, no, nobody in their right mind, it's definitely like a bot just like automatically stripping cool stuff, yeah. YouTube videos uh, from crowded bars and coffee shops. And you can hear some, some chatter, some chatter, oh, some no. buddy telling a whole story next to this phone recording. And yeah, I mean, I don't understand that, but I'm certain that uh, some of the professional recordings have succumbed to the same. Uh, I don't know. Same, <laughs> same, same, same nonsense? Yeah, same result. So how does one decide that they need uh, a producer? Well, uh, when I was 18, I uh, really started trying to do this solo thing, and I learned all these instruments by then, you know, and... Like, ah, well, I could just, like, put a demo together. And I found this uh, this label called Third Time Lucky Records out in uh, Harrisburg. And they were, like, a pop-punk label. I was not pop-punk at all. <laughs> but uh, I, I hit them up, and, you know, it was, like, uh, you know, a little bit of money for this whole recording. And I went out to this house, and they recorded me, and then they liked it. So they signed me and started getting me some, like, shows at these pop-punk shows. I'd show up with my acoustic guitar. And, and they're like, what is he doing here? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, no, it, it, it actually went pretty well. Um, but then eventually I got out of that. They, they kind of dropped uh, what I was doing. And later on, I hit up the actual producer from the label, Nick. And, you know, he's like, oh, man, I don't know what happened with that. Like, we could still get together and do some stuff. And... Uh, over the course of time, we eventually became really good, good friends. He was the best man at my wedding, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, he's watching. Is he yeah, watching? Yeah, he's watching. Like, hey. <laughs> hey, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, it, for anybody interested in that story, definitely look up the Gentry and uh, check out some of that music um, because it's a totally different vein from anything else. Yeah, it's completely different from. Uh, anything I've heard you do, uh, when when I first, because I I wanted to know if you had a Spotify, so I just looked up Bjorn Jenkinson on Spotify, and and the Gentry came out, but I'm like, what's this? <laughs> and I started listening to him, like, wow, <laughs> I've never heard him do any of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely a much more uh, professional approach recording. Oh, absolutely, you know? yeah, for sure, and uh, much more. It's much more techno. Techno, uh, yeah, that electronic vibe, electronic vibe, yeah, for sure. And it was, it was really interesting to hear that because you, you have a unique voice, a very unique voice, uh, and it's very like gravelly. And to hear that mixed with the electronica was, was very interesting. It's almost as if you had Louis Armstrong, (laughs) (laughs) you know, something you just wouldn't expect but it really really works yeah yeah louis armstrong with uh you know synthesizers and drum machines you yeah, know, and, yeah <laughs> that's pretty cool that's, a, that's an interesting way to put it so um you also had a group with uh oh what was it called with henry and grisafi general semantics general semantics what yeah. was it like pulling that all together that was insane that was um you know uh that group of musicians was Definitely uh, the largest group of some of the most talented people that I've had the pleasure to come together with at once, you know. Um, 
I think there was a bit of insanity involved with that project as well with everybody. Uh, just a lot of uh, intelligent people just doing crazy things and, and really um, experimenting with the sounds that we, we could make together. You know, yeah. um, I believe some of those tracks you've got on here. I do have later. some of those tracks, actually. And um, that was a learning experience as well. Like uh, going back to Grisafi, you know, uh, some of the counterpoint he and I did was an improvised counterpoint mm -hmm. at that. It was just nutty. You it, know? It's, it's ridiculous. And then Henry on the bass um, really really brought a whole new like liquid level to his bass lines with that uh that you know fretless upright and yeah um just cool stuff you know and quirky it was it's but very then quirky. it got very serious too and, and some very serious songwriting came from it you know uh yeah we could have fun and yeah so some of the stuff that i i love from that project was the amount of genre twisting and like all the, the stuff you would never ever hear in your entire life, right? Yeah, it's definitely one of a kind that project. <laughs> it, it is. It's it's and it's amazing. There's a, a lot. It's like there's 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 like a blues section and there's like a screamo section and there's like uh or Bjorn's going ah, ah and into some, some bluegrass country riffs. Bluegrass, and, yeah, right. You know, into some some the, like metal polka. breakdowns and polka. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all of it, man. And and jazz and. Prague, yeah. huge progressive aspect to that that band with Henry and uh, and Mike. Truly, truly inspiring. So it's inspired me to just mix genres as well because it's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you have that caliber of musicians where you can just do it, maybe not so much seamlessly, but you'll get it together. Yeah, and, and it'll it'll work. And when that occurs, you, I I think we all looked at each other like did. did did that happen? Right. Like, let's let's play that back, you know? And, and then having the pleasure to play with Harry, too. Got to mention Harry, you know? Harry it's just, Marion, yeah. Yeah, great drummer. Uh, very, very, very effective with what we were all doing, you know? And it just, it got crazy. Yeah. So what are some future things for you that you want to really do? Um, right now, it's, uh, I, I'm really working on trying to get a, a solo album together. Mm. Um. And mainly just solo and, and, and how it's it's portrayed. I do want to get a lot of these musicians in on it and do as much as possible and kind of get a giant collaboration with everything that has been done. On top of also doing more with the gentry. Uh, we're, we're planning on getting together and discussing the next recording session for that as well. So I think that'll be very fun. Yeah. You know. So a lot of this seems a lot of your story seems to sound like that you're breaking out of a comfort zone always always you know yeah i don't i think if you're if you're not testing uh what you're comfortable with uh there there's little growth mm. you know and at a young age it was kind of forced upon me that extreme discomfort and now now it's not so bad it's like oh i never thought of this before it's not so uncomfortable anymore to kind of just jump out of the lane and, uh, you know, take, take that hour for yourself, so what, to say. What was the first moment of jumping out of your comfort zone, do you think? Um, definitely with the injury and going to festivals. Um, 
with my 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 little banjo at the time and and people just kind of um taking me by you know the shirt sleeve and dragging me to this group of people that you you're going to fit right in here and like I knew nothing you know what I mean like I did not know much of the banjo or bluegrass or anything like that and it's just you know, here we're throwing you in with these this group of professionals around this fire uh at this late night jam and uh you know that that was extremely uncomfortable, but inspirational and educational, you know. So what are some mistakes that maybe you've made that you would give advice to, to or help others not make the same mistakes? I would say just um, stick to your own path, you know. Um, don't get caught up in anybody else's drama. Don't, don't listen to what anybody else could throw you under the bus with potentially. Uh, if you're doing your thing right, stick to it and be a professional about it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there there's so much drama that can come from hanging out in the entertainment industry, and there's there's a lot of envy on all ends, and I think that that envy really creates this this boiling pot of stuff you just want to avoid. So I think going home. After the show, that's a big thing, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just go home after the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of stuff that can transpire if you just don't just go home. Right, right. And people's perceptions are out of whack with, um, you know, the influences that are out there. And it's good to avoid all of that, you know. Uh, stick to a very close-knit group of people and... You know, whatever whatever you're doing, don't flash at all. You know, allow allow some room for surprise. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something I've learned a lot for this podcast. Is I okay? I have to I have to taper because I love talking about stuff I, I like cool stuff I've got going on. Right, but, right. Um, but uh, it's <laughs> people are always like, oh yeah, what you got now? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah you know and and yeah is it like is that taking away from somebody else's experience you know Mm -hmm. uh constantly talking about these successful ventures right yeah you know uh yeah it's good to good to keep that on the on the down low until it's ready to really be thrown out there right yeah it's it's a lot i've been been learning the uh the art of surprise and (laughs) marketing really (laughs) Right, right, yeah. Um, that's that's what it is. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Because if it's dull by the time it's released, if it, if it's kind of oh, all right, I heard about that, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. You, know, you want that that shock value. The shock value, yeah. And the you you need to market it or talk about it enough for people to be interested in it, but enough to or not enough to ruin it. Right, right, yeah. It, uh, it definitely excludes some of those major details, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, that mystery. That mystery is what keeps it going. The intrigue. Exactly. You know? Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, um, I got. You know what? I was gonna say something, but then I decided. You know what? I'm gonna keep it a mystery. <laughs> I've got. A, I've got a big artist coming out. I'm gonna keep it a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. For now. So. We have some of your songs. Uh, one of the first ones you had was Vows. Tell me about that one. Um, Vows was with the Wayfarer Experiment. Um, it was the the second album that we did called uh, uh, Death of the Wayfarer. And definitely a more depressing album. 
Uh, so this is a country song based on, you know, um, being like falling in love with somebody that you find out is, is uh, married, you know? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, there's just no hope in that. Run along, you know? So that's, that's the gist of that song, you know? How'd this come about? Uh, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, an interesting little little joke that we had that turned into a very serious song, you know. <laughs> and hopefully, no one fell in love with the married person. No, no, it didn't go to any sort of extent like that. It was just, um, you know, this idea that we ran with, and and it was funny to sing, you know. But then it was like, oh wow, there's there's some real merit to, you know, at least I think to to this subject matter. Oh yeah, you know? well, I mean, it happens all the time. Right, and yeah, if you don't know, and and the song definitely explains that uh, within it, you know. Right. So with all that said, this is Vows from the Wayfair Project, a Wayfair experiment. Correct. Yes. Cause you've got your vows, and I know. Got your vows. I'll never have you.
That was Val's, by the Wayfair experiment. So, tell me. I lost my question. <laughs> that was so. Was that all of you mostly? Yeah, that was. Um, that was. I was doing all the instruments except for the uh, the little uh, amount of drums that were in there. That was uh, nobody. How would you decide uh, what to balance with? How like how to balance the mandolin, the banjo, the harmonica, all that jazz? Uh, you know, I think it was um, just feeling it out, man. Uh, it was a strange process in there, you know. Uh, and, and Nick's really brilliant for for allowing that that space, that room to be able to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has no problem hitting that that button and saying, "Ah, I messed up. <laughs> do it again." <laughs> and I love him for that, you know. So, that's, that's what they're there for, <laughs> right? 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 But and a lot of times you don't get that freedom mm. when they are there for that's that right. reason. Um, so. So that I think, yeah, that's a great example of just kind of allowing the studio to dance with itself, you know, and it's pretty cool. Uh, where, where can people find that? Um, not many places right now. Uh, that's something that we are working on in the future is trying to get some of that music out there uh, because it is older. And, you know, at that time, uh, a lot of these platforms, they just weren't really attainable. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So now, now, yeah, I don't know. Potentially re-recording it or releasing some of that stuff. Um, but I think, yeah, uh, recording it again, it's it's not going to have the same, same uh, air or exactly yeah, right yeah. same atmosphere. Right, right. Yeah, it'll definitely be different. So I think it it would be a good idea to maybe do both. Uh, release yeah. like the Wayfarer thing and then release uh, the a remaster, the new improved version. Right. You know? Yeah, that's something I've I've been uh, wanting to do with some of my music. Is some of my music. Like uh, the worship song that I have, it uh, sounds really great as like the or- orchestral piece that it is, but it also sounds insanely good in like a, like a contemporary worship where there's like four singers and right, right, and all yeah. that jazz. Because we did it for my uh, my my senior recital because I couldn't have a full orchestra unfortunately during the aftermath of COVID, and um, it was amazing. It was really really good, but what do I do? Right, you know. <laughs> Like keep it as an orchestral piece, or, but why not just? But then my mind was like, "Whoa, why can't I release both?" Right, right. And there's no reason why you can't. Right, you yeah. Know? And there's it perceived perceived to me. I was like, "Well, they just don't do that." But well, I but I can though. Right. But I can do that. Do whatever you want. Do whatever I want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, in that similar kind of vein of style, we have mended love. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, that was definitely. Written at a later time, uh, while general semantics was um, pretty much forming, um, that, I think that band had a good two-year run, and I don't know. We're bringing it together every now and then is a little surprise, but um, uh, definitely a tune written about uh, being broken and you know, like, I'll never love again, <laughs> you know, uh, and then you know, meeting somebody where you feel like, oh, maybe, maybe I could. And and, oh yeah, so here's this these broken pieces I've mended together for you. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, (laughs) so that's the gist of that song. It's one of my one of my favorite songs to play along (laughs) to. And with that said, this is "Mended Love" from the General Semantics. Correct. 
And that was Mended Love by the General Semantics. Yeah, yep. So, sorry if the music cut out halfway through. A little <laughs> bit, I forgot. It's like, oh, shoot, that's a word in there we can't say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, the, uh, that's with Henry, uh, Microsofty, mm-hmm. you, others, yeah. I'm forgetting. <laughs> so that, that's, that project is, where, where can people find that? Um, nowhere. 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 So a lot of those songs, uh, I, I would like to record, um, you know, with an actual, actual, mm. uh, project that. You know, uh, get Henry and Mike in the studio and, and try to do that. Uh, but everybody's very busy uh, mm. and trying to organize that, even with my schedule as well. Uh, the performances are really taking uh, control of my entire life right now. Oh, yeah? <laughs> what, what's, what stuff do you got upcoming? Uh, let's see. Uh, it's, it's just a lot of local stuff. But, um, you know, we'll be at uh, John Wright's. Robin and I will be on uh, Friday, I believe. Uh, you got Almigos every Wednesday, right? Almigos every Wednesday. That's tonight. Yeah, it's tonight. Um, and then the Meadery uh, every other Saturday, I believe. That's DeFrancesco's Meadery. Yeah, yeah, DeFrancesco Meadery over in Wrightsville. And then the uh, the Bucket Open Mic mm-hmm. um, over in Wrightsville as well. And then working on a bunch of new places as well. Uh, it's, it's hard to... To recall everything without my calendar right in front of me. Right, of course, of course. Yeah, because um, there's quite a bit. Uh, and then, and then time with the kids and everything. Uh, so there's family time and performance time, and then trying to find any other time is really, um, it's difficult. Oh, know? I'm sure, and we'll talk about all those balances later on. But for the radio, we're gonna we're gonna sign off. And get you back to your music. If you have enjoyed this, please be sure to follow us on Facebook.com forward slash The Story Corey Rosen. That's C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N. You can also search up The Story Corey Rosen on all streaming platforms and Instagram and follow us there. You can get all of our guests upcoming and prior on on Facebook and Instagram. And if you really support, want to support, support Bjorn, you can... Check out his Gentry project on Spotify. That is on Spotify, The Gentry. That's G-E-N-T-R-Y, The Gentry, on Spotify. With all of that said, if you really want to support us, you can buy some merchandise. (laughs) Help me grow the company here and help me uh, sustain this because it's it's a lot of time and it's a lot of effort. It is. You are... You're really putting something together here, and I know, yeah. and I'm really. And People should be supporting you, Corey. Yeah, they should. How dare you? Give me a moment. No, I was kidding. But if you if you do really want to support us uh, and help, stickers. We have stickers. We have uh, hoodies with the with the logo on the front and the hood and the first fifty guests on the back, including Mr. Bjorn Jacobson. With all that said, we're gonna get you back. We're gonna get you guys back to the music.